I was working so hard in my business trying to find some sense of purpose and fulfillment and happiness and when my business didn't give that to me that's when I sort of started searching for those self-help references and, and therapists to try and help me through what I was going through at the time. Dear Balancer, I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together let's find your unique balance. All right, Balancers, today I'm rejoined by one of our early guests. Some of you may have listened to that episode. I'm going to pop it in the show notes if not, but I'm really excited to be jumping back on a call with Iris. She is the founder and brains behind The Quick Flick, and it's been incredible watching your journey and the business journey in the last year. So I'm really honored to have you back on the show to chat what's been happening in the last year. So welcome. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. (laughs) No worries. So I think it was probably over a year ago now that we we last spoke, but obviously you and I have been chatting over the gram over the last year and I've been watching all the incredible things that have been happening. I know recently you've launched in Coles, which is massive. So a huge, huge congratulations to you and the whole Quick Flick team. But I just wanted to know a bit of a life update, personal and professional, what's been happening with you since the last time we spoke? Yeah, sure. Well, a lot. Um, <laughs> probably, I think before we spoke, I hadn't launched my sunscreen range quick screen which was like a whole new category for us to explore which is really exciting um and we recently launched that into Coles which was well is the biggest retail deal that we've ever done so that was so good so very exciting and it it actually you can pretty much say has changed our business as well having such a large retail partner on board um I also personally I think uh, we were the same before. I was traveling around Europe and doing a bit of a taste test of the whole digital nomad, working and traveling. We can get into that a bit later if you want around how that went for me. Some surprises <laughs> there, some learnings about myself personally. Um, but it was very nice to have some time away, especially in the middle of winter, because it was terrible weather back in Australia when I was over there. I'm, I'm not sure if um, last time we spoke, we spoke about how I was in the process of uh, moving my team remote. So, yes, I think you mentioned it. Yeah, so, um, yeah, probably that's a, a big change that has happened is the entire team's now working remote from home. We got rid of our office. So just kind of restructured how the business has worked. Awesome. And actually on that note, when you so now you've obviously made the transition, everyone's working remotely I assume you would have made that because it's uh, made that decision because obviously it's in the business's best interest. But I think it's interesting because a lot of uh, companies are hesitant to do that in the name of, say, productivity. So I'm Mm -hmm. just curious, have you actually found that in terms of how your business operates and your actual staff members output? And was there sort of was that a rationale behind why you moved remotely or was there something else embedded in that? It's a mixture of a few things. Um, The main one in particular was the fact that I could expand our talent pool. Being in Perth, um, Western Australia, you don't have the luxury of as many candidates to bring in if you want everyone working from, say, like your one HQ office in Perth. So just removing that necessity of having to be in a Perth office 
um, just allowed us to expand it. And we actually work mostly now with agencies or like freelancers. So I find working with people who are running their own business are quite good at being productive and managing a few clients and managing their time really well because it is their business. Um, so it hasn't been too much of a challenge. I understand why people are hesitant to do it. But personally, I haven't experienced any major issues. And yeah, just being able to work with an agency as well, you get access to a number of different people. And you have someone who actually manages those people as well. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of takes that additional time off our backs having to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Does that mean you work from home? 24 seven as well? Yeah, I do. I, do. Um, I did actually trial working from, um, what do they call it? Like a, like a co-work space. Co-work space. Yeah. Which was nice, but I'm very, I think I'm, I realized, and that's what Europe taught me is I'm a very routine style person. I like to have my office a certain way and my monitors have to be in a certain position. I can't have any noise around me. And it was just very difficult when I was in that co-working space. I actually found it hindered my productivity and found it really distracting yeah we're so alike it's not funny yeah I'm glad you brought up the whole Europe thing I've actually so for anyone listening who's up to date with the episodes I'll know a couple weeks ago I did a solo episode on kind of the things I learned working remotely and not that it served as like a warning for people but I think that it's very glamorized the lifestyle of working on the go um, and kind of having that flexibility to just travel and work remotely um, and, and I definitely was in that pool of people that found that lifestyle super alluring and I was very, very curious about it. And so I committed, overcommitted, I should say, 12 <laughs> weeks this year. Um, but I kind time. of had it's, It was very long. Um, but I also had a lot of like epiphanies and realizations and um, I'll kind of let you talk through your experience as well. But I would say I think where we we kind of sit in the same camp and I know we spoke while you were in Italy as well. So that was kind of the reason I wanted to get you on to chat too. But if you're listening and you're a very routine person and you're very structured and you kind of have your fixed way of doing things, which is nothing wrong with that, I think you need to be quite open-minded to the fact that working on the go completely takes that away from you. So if you find comfort in your space or in your routine, if you're not going to have that and that's really like the foundation of how you like to work, it's not going to, it may not be the best environment for you to work in. But talk to us a little bit about, I guess, your maybe like the expectations you had in working remotely and then what was the reality of it and maybe in turn like what you learnt as a, as a byproduct of that experience. Yes, to answer your question around what I learnt in Europe a lot and I definitely agree with everything you said around how that whole that, um, organisational framework is just completely ripped out from under you. I would say based on if I had to do it again or anyone who's still wanting to trial it and if you're a bit like us, definitely stay longer in certain spaces. I think where I maybe messed up a little bit was we were like literally moving Jumping. to a new place like every two, three days and it was just way too much. I had quite a few people message actually who work um, remotely and travel and work and they said the way that they do it is they try to stay at least like two three weeks in one place to kind of have set days where they just smash through a whole bunch of work rather than splitting up their days and doing a few half, hours half. 
and then traveling and sightseeing I think that was the other thing as well I wasn't able to completely immerse myself in the experiences that I was having in the places I was going because I was thinking oh I need to go back to our room so I can send that email (laughs) yeah and it's also because of the time difference like yeah it doesn't make the half half split as like practical as what you think because you have to be on super early to catch like Australian afternoons and stuff like that but I know I totally agree we we, so we proactively thought of that because we're like okay 12 weeks and we're like we'll do at least a week in every place but that was like that wasn't long enough at all so um, definitely agree with you there did you kind of have any other realizations I mean for me it was like I really saw what I need to kind of sink into that hustle mode, to sink into that work mode. And for me, it's like an environment. It's mm-hmm. the the little comfort things like knowing where I'm going to get a coffee, even though it sounds silly, mm-hmm. but like, or knowing that I can have a really good meal for lunch, like the little comfort things. Like, did you kind of have any of those realizations or confirmations? Yeah, no, I, I definitely did. I think to your point, probably the biggest realization I had was, just appreciating how good I have it here. <laughs> like I think because like, we were stuck with COVID and all the lockdowns were sort of stuck in the same place for so long. I got a bit sick of it. I was like, I'm sick of this place. I just want to leave, get me to Europe. And then when I was in Europe, I was like, I really miss home. <laughs> Take me back. <laughs> so I think it just like, and that's what traveling does, right? Like you just, you come out really grateful. For new new perspective. Yeah, new perspective. I think that was the biggest thing for me was just a little bit of a reset on how great it is where I live. But I agree. I definitely miss like even just my Pilates classes and I go Mm. to the gym at a certain time every day. Like I really missed having that solid routine. Um, Yeah. So that was probably the biggest realization for me, but also from an energetic perspective is, you know, you're very laid back, staying up super late, eating all the time. <laughs> Didn't really go hand in hand with like that energy. Boss that lady. Need. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It, was, it was a bit disjointed. Um, so I did find it hard. Like, you know, we come back from an amazing, relaxing afternoon on the beach, swimming. And then like, I have to switch my frame of mind into this analytical email and all these numbers, like it's just, it was very difficult to constantly be switching back and forth between the different mindsets. I'm sure you can relate to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of spoke about it in terms of like the pace. So like the pace at which I needed to move and work was totally mismatched with the pace of the place I was. So all those beautiful European towns are so slow moving. Mm. And as I was saying to you off air, I think if I had like creative work or I was like writing a book or something like that, that I could kind of get lost in the in whatever that creative process was, I think could have worked. But because I had to do like BAU and be in like hustle Australia mode, it was just completely misaligned. So I think doing it again, I would try to maybe work out work around that. Um, mm. But I, I totally agree. You, you get this appreciation for a routine that you might demonize or maybe beat yourself up for having such a, like a fixed mentality. But at the end of the day, like I think there's nothing wrong, especially for A-type personalities, like to admit that that's the environment you thrive in and to have mm. a little bit of a new perspective and appreciation of it is always a good thing. So um, totally. it's so funny that we had the same experience, but I just wanted to ask you about that. So thanks for sharing. No and I know last time we had you on the podcast, um, self-care is something that we dived very deep into and you shared some really, really beautiful tips um, kind of on how you like to practice self-care. 
I don't know if you have this experience, but I feel like at different points in my life, you know, even week to week, day to day, self-care can look or mean something really different to me. So I, I kind of want to ask you the same thing. What does self-care look and feel like or mean to you at this moment in your life? Just to see if it's, you know, changed or varied mm. or been slightly tweaked from the last time we spoke. Yeah, no, absolutely. I still, I still think it's pretty similar. And I would say for me, what does that look like day to day or week to week? I think it's definitely taking those like moments out of your day. And even <laughs> I'm, you're going to laugh. I have to schedule them in literally. Otherwise I'll just forget. Proper, I just keep working. Proper eight time. <laughs> yeah. I have, I literally have to schedule. Okay. This block here is for this, like certain things that I do that help contribute to self-care, say going to the gym, going to Pilates, catching up with a friend for coffee, spending some alone time, like actually my Saturday mornings, because my partner now, he's a personal trainer. He started doing um, sessions on Saturday morning. That's like, I love that. I'm like, go work. That's like my time, time, (laughs) four hours where I don't want to speak to anyone. I don't want anyone in the house. I just want to be able to put my music on, do what I want to do. Just having those like blocks that are non-negotiables, almost like scheduling them in like they're a meeting so that you don't miss them. A yep. meeting with yep. yourself, a meeting with self-care. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think I think making those like self-care, self-care appointments is so underrated, especially for yeah. if anyone listening right now is sitting here thinking like, well, I don't have time for myself. I can't find time in my day. Honestly, if you, if you reframe and start to treat it like an appointment, watch mm-hmm. how easily you can stick to and, and you don't have to start with something drastic like hours. If you can just do five or ten minutes and start noticing how it's so easy to kind of adhere to a schedule when you treat it like a meeting because I've I've done that before Um, and and for some people that might sound like a bit over the top or (laughs) um, dramatic but I I actually think it's a really smart thing to do especially for people who think they're time poor Um, Mm -hmm. but on the note of like self-care activities you kind of have your go-tos I know you kind of said the gym maybe let's talk maybe in terms of if you've had like a really full-on week and you're just feeling like your energy is like completely depleted you got into a point where you're like, wow, I'm, I don't know if it, you could say burnout, but it's, you know, getting there. Do you have things that you kind of go to in those moments that are above and beyond what you would normally do? Good question. I think going outside into nature is like a massive one for me, especially since I grew up in the country down south, um, about four hours out of Perth. Just going outside and... <laughs> People probably laugh. Getting the sun on your skin, getting the sun in your eyes. Sometimes with SPF like, on, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with with sunscreen on, of course. <laughs> um, even like just going outside, walking on the grass, grounding yourself. That's like really big for me because it just quietens my mind. That's what burns me out is the chatter in my mind. That's why I do mm. things like journaling, the gym. Um, meditation it's always to quieten my mind because I've got such a hyperactive mind it's constantly thinking it's constantly thinking of ideas wakes me up at 2 a.m in the morning with an idea oh, I have to send that to myself via an email like the amount of times <laughs> my partner's woken up he's like why are you on your phone I'm like I had this idea and I had to email it to myself because I know when I wake up I forgot about it um, <laughs> so yeah it's just finding those activities that quieten the chatter and I find going outside exercising and meditating is probably the the biggest ones that I will do but sometimes just like the the biggest thing that can help me with 
that burnout or preventing it is just being alone. Sometimes I'm just exhausted from speaking to people, sending so many emails or getting so many notifications. It's just switching the phone off, putting it away and just doing whatever it is I need to do in that moment and and just not being surrounded by anyone. It's like recharging my battery. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because I mean, would you consider yourself to be a more extrovert or introverted type of person? It depends. It depends on the environment. It depends on the people. I can be both depending. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. I'll, I'll, we can lock in both. I'll take both. I um, yeah. <laughs> I probably consider myself to be a bit more extroverted. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I've recently also found a new appreciation for like alone time. Whereas yeah. before I was that kind of person that would always try and block out my calendar. Like I love being social, couldn't think of anything worse than being by myself. I just thought spending time with myself was so boring. Sure. And I think once you start like, you know, embarking on a bit of a self-growth journey and you start building that self-awareness, you really have this newfound appreciation for solitude. And mm-hmm. it's almost like you crave it every so often. And so I'm just, I'm glad you brought that up because I think talking about time alone as a part of self-care is is really underrated and not something a lot of people will speak about. And um, yeah, I just wanted to say that because for anyone listening who feels like spending time with themselves is boring or it feels very lonely, I think that's quite natural for people who are more extroverted. But I think the more you do it, the more you kind of revel in that appreciation for it. I'm yeah. not sure if you had a similar experience, but it took me a while to get to being grateful for time alone. Yeah, no, absolutely. I used to be the same. Like if I was going to go for a walk on a Saturday, I would have to message a friend and ask a friend to come with me. I couldn't go out for breakfast and sit in a cafe by myself and eat a meal on my own. But I love that. That is what my Saturday looks like. Go to Pilates, go to the cafe, sit down by myself, take my book. And yes, people might look at you sometimes and like I'll go into the cafe and like, is it just you? And I'm like, absolutely. Breakfast with Love the confidence. <laughs> um, go for a walk by yourself. I really, really appreciate that. And don't get me wrong, it's great to catch up with people every now and again. You also need that. But I think sometimes just like you said, that solitude. And it gives you like this sense of confidence and empowerment as well that you can be comfortable on your own, mm, in your own yeah. company. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, something worth trying out. And when I was in Europe, I remember one night we were at a really busy restaurant. Oh, it wasn't busy. It was like, you know, like nice music, but the restaurant was packed. And there was this old man. He had a glass, like a bowl of red and a glass. And he was just sitting there with his book. And I was like, kind of in awe and in admiration. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would ever do that, but I would love to just like have the confidence to take myself out for dinner. And I yeah. just think if you can enjoy your own time, then you kind of never worry about other people. It's kind of like if you can love yourself, then you can expect others to love you too. So it's like if you can spend time and enjoy your own company, then you can expect that from others. So, um, yeah, something yeah. underrated that my, I think my is. partner always laughs at me. He, he's like, I don't know how you do that. I could never go and sit in a restaurant and eat by myself. I'm like, why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? It's, it's, yeah. A, it's a nice confidence to wear, I think. Mm. No. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Definitely. So on this tangent of self-awareness, I think you and I can both agree, having both run businesses, that there's so much self-growth and self-learning just in the process of having your own business, kind of winging it, coming up with the challenges that come along the way. As a business grows, I think you grow a lot as well. And so my question to you is, of the realizations or I guess moments of growth that you've had, which do you think have been the most pivotal in your business success? So things you've actually grown or learned about yourself as a person that go hand in hand with what you can attribute to the success of your business? Deep question. I like it. <laughs> We've got to get deep at some point on this show. Yes, no, definitely. I think there's been a few. I think the main one that I, the, the biggest realization that I've had about myself over the years definitely came about during COVID. And the main one was just around finding my inner confidence in my own abilities is probably the way I could describe it. And it came about because when COVID hit, you know, like many businesses, we were forced to make decisions based on sales and what the numbers looked like. And prior to COVID coming about, I always had this mentality that I wasn't a numbers person. And I know where it comes from, you know, it comes from growing up being told by my parents and teachers that I was really bad at maths. I wasn't a mathematically wired person. I was a creative person. So in my mind, well, you can't be both. You can, you're one or the other. And even when I was at school, like I always really struggled with maths. I don't know if it was because I was actually bad at it. I think it was just because I believed that I was, so I could never be good at it. The story you told yourself. Absolutely. And so many people I've spoken to have said the same, you know, I'm not a numbers person, so I find running a business really hard. I'm like, why do you think that? (laughs) Um, But yeah, that definitely was a challenge during COVID when I was forced to look at my numbers and really understand like where the business stands, what changes we need to make based on, you know, lockdowns. And a lot of our retailers went into lockdown and closed. We had a lot of purchase orders that were prior to COVID guaranteed by international retailers that got put on hold because they put a hard stop on all new brands. So there was a lot of gearing up that had happened and investing cash into stock that had happened prior to COVID hitting that all got put on hold when it hit. And I had had some really bad advice from um a CFO advisor in my business, which had caused not irreparable damage, but quite substantial damage to certain parts of my business. And as a result of this, I was basically forced to upskill and understand once and for all how to really navigate the financial aspect of my business. And it just gave me this newfound confidence in my abilities and really allowed me to question like all of those stories that I was telling myself about certain things both personally and professionally and realize hang on I'm actually not bad at maths and numbers I can do this and I can actually do it better than this said person who I kind of idolized at that point because I thought they were the only one that could do that part of my business I was I wouldn't be able to run a business if I didn't have that person in my um, Mm -hmm. team supporting. So I felt quite reliant on them. 
And when I actually was able to upskill that part and sort of like dissolve that story that I'd been telling myself, it really brought on this new found confidence and just widen my mindset to like I literally can learn any element and I can also approach any task in a creative way because I thought I'm a creative person you know the two can't work together like no you can actually use a creative mind and apply that to more mathematical things to find new creative ways to do different things that impact you know the bottom line in a business quite positively so I would say that was a massive piece for me it was and how cool because you probably to this day probably think you're still bad at maths had it not been for that challenge in your business absolutely yeah no absolutely and I think also for me it was dissolving the story around I think a lot of us are told growing up like you know respect your elders oh you know your elders know more than you and that particular person in my business was a lot older than me they were in they're like mid fifties. So I think again, it was me doubting my ability because of my age and just, yeah, rewriting that script as well. Like just because of my age doesn't mean I have to wait to a certain point that I can do something or be knowledgeable on a certain topic. Sure. Do you feel like you would have grown into the person you are today? Had you not started quick flick? I think, I think I'm asking more from like the self-growth point of view because I know you've always been quite proactive with mm. um, getting to know yourself better and like self-growth and that kind of thing, but specifically in running the business and how that's contributed to you as a woman and you as a person today, do you feel mm. you would be where you are had it not be for the business? Like has it made, I guess, such a huge inroad in, in your self-development journey that you kind of attribute who you are to it? a tough one I do think even if I hadn't started my business I do think like this was part of my destiny self-growth because at some point something was always going to give right because a lot of my self-growth came about my mental health issues that were a result of all of the trauma I experienced growing up and at some point like the cracks were always going to show regardless of if I'd started a business or not So I feel in some way or another, I would have been forced to look at my own shit and go, I need to clean this up (laughs) and improve myself. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's. Who knows how it would have happened. But Um, eventually this stuff does come out, doesn't it? (laughs) It comes out one way or another, I find. Absolutely. And it actually already was before I started my business, like, while I was at uni, a lot of stuff was coming up for me. And I think actually starting the business was what was like the massive catalyst because I was working so hard in my business, trying to find some sort of sense of purpose and fulfillment and happiness. And when my business didn't give that to me, that's when I sort of started searching for those self-help references and, and therapists to try and help me through what I was going through at the time. Yeah, super interesting. No, I, I love that you've shared that. I, I just think it's so interesting. Uh, like, you know, I, when I speak to you, I can tell how passionate you are about your business and I can tell you give it your all. So I'm always just curious as to people, the whether there's a like a tandem or a parallel between people's personal and professional growth. But um, no, I love mm. what you were kind of talking about, about breaking down limiting beliefs that you personally held and had for a long time and how the business is kind of like a vehicle for you to unpackage and prove to yourself otherwise. So I love that you've shared that. 
just quickly, I want to know about launching in Coles. That's a huge, huge milestone. So massive congratulations. How was the process of onboarding with them, of actually, you know, scaling production to meet, because they've got so many stores and I assume you're in most of them. Mm. Um, how was that process? Was it, was it really fun? Was it super challenging? Like how did, how did the business kind of manage that? Well, it's good that I upskilled in my financial knowledge, right? Because I could manage a, a Matt's flow. pro, Matt's <laughs> pro in-house. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so there was obviously a lot of planning from a financial aspect because it was eight or it is 820 stores four to eight products per SKU per store you times that by 820 you're talking about a lot of units that you need to go into production for you know like 90 days out from when you actually ship it so I think that's what people don't understand as well in business they're very enthusiastic and excited to go into retail without understanding the true financial cost of it because it's a lot of um it's a lot of upfront cost too a lot of these retailers don't pay you until yes. you know goods have been delivered which is a lot for some businesses to cop up front yeah and sometimes payment terms as well of i've seen up to like 90 days with certain retailers so you need to be able to fund the stock production and pay you know your suppliers sometimes 120 days out depending on how long your production time is and then that additional payment term time that you give to the retailer so there was a lot of planning um, from a, a financial element and I was very fortunate that we were in the position where we could fund that so I didn't need to get any loans or investment to fund um, the stock that we use for the Coles launch but yeah, it was a whole process because there was all these other requirements from a logistics standpoint, warehousing standpoint that we needed to also abide by certain packing requirements, labeling, barcoding, a lot goes into it, which obviously was, is very exciting to be able to you know, do all of that. I think we're now robotic compliant as well, which is a thing oh, I learned. That's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so now there's robots that scan the, the barcodes as they go through. It has to be a certain type of barcode. Um, and then obviously all the planning that goes into the launch campaigns and the strategy and the content and getting ambassadors to promote it and influencers and videos. It's a whole program <laughs> of planning. Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> and um, then on top of that, you go through all of that only to have people, you know, claim that you've faked your your uh your coals I know. you gotta can love you tiktok no i can't <laughs> can you imagine so for a bit going of... through all of that and then people say you faked it are you serious so just for a bit of context for people who maybe don't follow iris on tiktok or instagram <laughs> there were a lot of people claiming that um, she had faked her Coles launch because I think maybe in a video there was no price tag or something stupid like that. Yeah. Um, but but that was that was quite funny. How do you kind of? I mean, I know it's a bit of a laugh out loud, and and I guess this is a little. That's a little bit more like you know trolling, lighthearted, just sweeping under the rug stuff. But when you do get kind of haters or criticism online, is that something you find kind of really hits hard um, that you take personally, or have you learned to sort of just park that and move on? Yeah. So I used to take it quite personally and I would, you know, spend hours and hours of my time being engulfed with it and feeling upset. I still remember like the first ever press article that I got and somebody wrote on it, 
maybe she can create a stamp to fix her face. And I remember this comment stuck oh with me God. for so long. But now I laugh about it. Um, I think it's just realising that people who take the time out of their day to write something horrible about you are in so much pain themselves. It's just a reflection of how they feel about themselves and you're actually just triggering them, triggering their insecurities. And in this scenario, it actually worked to our advantage because all of those comments that were saying, you know, it's fake, you put it on the shelf yourself. We then created videos responding to that and those videos got almost a million views, which was way more than our original launch video got because people liked a bit of the drama. And I think it also like went semi-viral because people were like, oh, I'm going to go into Coles and check this out and see if this is actually See if it's actually there. Or is it a hoax? (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah, it was funny. And a Daily Mail picked it up and wrote a story about it. And I went to the comments. You should never go to the comments of a Daily Mail article because it's just... It's trash, trash, trash talk in there. But I went there um, and people were still saying, no, it's still very sus. Like there's something up with those, that original video. <laughs> like, Dude, you hey. need to get out more. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, like your launch campaign went a lot more viral than anticipated. So that's a win for you as far as I'm concerned. I like um, Hat off to you and, and the team, because I think that's an incredible achievement and I love watching your TikToks. I think they're great. Yeah. <laughs> For anyone not following, I'm going to put a link to Iris's uh, TikTok in the show notes, but check it out. Uh, yeah. Especially the, you know, the post-launch videos are definitely worth a watch. Before I let you go, I did want to ask you because as a, you know, somebody else who runs their business, I always just love watching your growth and your approach and your strategy. So I just wanted to ask, what is the best piece of advice that you would give to yourself or anybody starting a business? Totally. So I think probably leading on from what we were just speaking about, a quote that actually really inspired me this time around and probably what I would utilise if I was starting a business again from scratch. I was on this um, e-com event and it had the head marketer of Gymshark and he spoke about how they find ways to take the brand through the back door. And this has always stuck with me. So basically the idea is that um, when you are trying to sneak like into a club, right, you might have to wait in the line for a very long time to get into the club and you might not get in. The bouncer might not approve your ID. You have to wait in front of all these other people. Sometimes if you're a guy, like you're not guaranteed to get in because they just let the girls in. So he was talking about how you need to find a way to sneak through the back door so that you can get in the club. And he says this is like their approach that they do with Gymshark a lot. So I'm always trying to find ways. How can I do things slightly differently that makes me get to where I want to take the business quicker and also catches the attention of other people because it's so different. And that's kind of what we did with the Coles launch as well is responding like most of the brands would probably have just shut down those comments and maybe ignored them but actually like playing to those comments more and making so many video replies that actually directly addressed it and almost like teased the comments a little bit and another example I can um, use as well is I made this video that 
also organically went viral, 1 million views, and that translates into thousands and thousands of dollars of sales and a lot of ad spend if you had to run a campaign and get a million views. If you go on my TikTok, you'll see like I started the video basically spraying sunscreen onto my face, which like when that pops up straight away in your feed, like, you know, use your imagination. It's a bit jarring. (laughs) It's a bit jarring. But again, it was like, how can I get my product in front of someone and stop their scroll essentially going through the back door rather than just selling them a sunscreen spray in the same sort of structure that a lot of brands run their ads. Mm. And like the method did work. It got over a million views. It's been saved like 25,000 times. Our sales skyrocketed. I think Coles mentioned that we've been the most successful um, new product to launch based on our sales. And a lot of it can be attributed to just that sort of cheekiness that we created on TikTok that some brands would probably be afraid to do. So I would say like to anyone starting a business is what can you do that sneaks you through the back door and is different and is outside of the box that grabs the attention of consumers and makes them want to listen because so many people are demanding their attention on social media these days. You really do have to go about it in a different way and find that route through the back door. Absolutely. I think that's really good advice. And I think for younger entrepreneurs, like kind of in our age bracket, especially who are a little bit more willing to move away from the, you know, the traditional way of doing things, I think are going to do really well because there's so many brands that have hesitated to take those risks or try something a little bit left because they've done what they've done for so long and it's worked. Mm -hmm. But I think now with the rise of TikTok and the way that content is being, you know, consumed so rapidly, those methods are not working. You know, you have huge brands that have been around for years and years who are getting only hundreds of views on TikTok because mm-hmm. it just doesn't um, it just doesn't favor that status anymore. It really is still that organic space. And I think there's so much opportunity, but I think that's great advice um, for anyone listening, wanting to start a business or maybe even experiencing a little bit of um, a plateau in their business. Mm-hmm. I think shifting that mindset and thinking about what their back door might look like, I think is, is really fitting and nice advice. But Iris, it's always a pleasure to chat. I really, really love admiring from afar and watching your journey. So thank you so much for joining us again on the Balance Theory. And if people want to follow along your journey, where is the best place they can do so? And I'll pop some links in the show notes. Yeah, sure. So on Instagram, I'm at Iris Jade. And on TikTok, I'm at Iris Jade Smith. Perfect. Well, I'll pop links to those, but thanks again. And I look forward to catching up again in the future and seeing, you know, all the new incredible achievements that you guys check off your list. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.